I took a break from golf and actually played a bit of cricket. Did you? I did, yeah. I went to down to what do they call it? Sixes in London. It's okay. a bit like top golf, but for cricket. Okay. Um really quite cool actually. It's like a they have like net simulators. You can go have a few beers, play a bit of cricket. I rekindled my my youth days playing cricket when I used to be a wicket keeper chirping at all the batsmen. Um, I can imagine you actually just standing there, just oh, giving terrible. up the sledges, and and all your and I bet I bet they were absolutely awful as well. I bet they were just so naff. And the bat the only the only reason I was wicket keeper wasn't because of my catching ability. It was purely because of my sledging ability. <laughs> I used to just give it large all game. Yeah, they were. It was pretty poor banter, but um, good time. So yeah, I went down. Um, it was really good actually. Yeah. Um, you can like set the level. There's like five levels. Bit like playing FIFA, it's like beginner all the way to world class, and like we played it in like the middle, which was like club, I think they called it. But if you put it on world class, it was it was bloody impossible, honestly. So this is so this difficult. is where the cricket ball just you're you're batting and the cricket ball just flies out the wall. Yeah, and it just flies yeah. out. Yeah, and then they had like because obviously it's Halloween coming up, we won't get onto that again. But uh, <laughs> they had like a special one where it was like you couldn't actually see the bowler coming at you it was like a they'd replaced it with like a pumpkin and it was like a mystery ball you didn't know when it was going to come out you didn't know if it's going to be spin or like fast bowling as you can imagine after you had a few beers it's uh it's not the easiest um but yeah good fun i would recommend it to anyone uh anyone who like myself fancies a weekend away from golf because to be honest i've just had enough it was not golf much golf. i needed i needed a i needed a break so i did a bit of cricket and yeah I'm a big fan of these places that are popping up all mm. over the place. Now, obviously, you've got Top Golf for people to go and have fun playing golf. Obviously, we've had Crazy Golf for years. Yeah. Uh, but Top Golf is obviously a different level to that. The darts place is good as well. You've done well, you've that. got Flight, Flight Club, Club, which is the darts place. Mm. There's uh, and there's one there's one actually near me, which is really good. So if you don't know what Flight Club is, you throw your dart into the dartboard, and there's there's different games you can play, and you've got a screen above your above your dartboard, and the dartboard is hooked up to the computer. So and it's a normal dartboard. It's just got sensors in the back. So wherever you hit your dart, it then registers in the computer and you play your game. And and there are different games where you've obviously got to, it's like top golf. You've got to hit certain different parts of the dartboard in order to score. I haven't I've seen sixes, but I haven't I haven't been. But it's really cool that these places are like popping up and growing these. Well, because well, people go and never sports. play. They're, they? they're obviously incredibly popular sports. But if you don't play golf, you can go to top golf and mess around and have fun. If you don't play darts. Like you don't want to go down to a local pub and play in a darts league. You can go to these flight club type places and it's really good fun for everyone. And to bring it full circle round to the th- things like live golf, you look at them spouting about how they're growing the game. And you're thinking, actually, it's these guys that are growing these the game. guys. <laughs> and so just talking about lower levels growing the game, we've got Tom Haywood from Clutch Golf, who made a huge announcement on Friday. Yes. Which is a developmental tour in the UK. I won't, we won't say anything about it now because we're doing our small talk at the start, but it's really interesting. So if you're not here for George and I's brilliant chat. Do stick around. It's worth it this week. Stick around for some really interesting developments going on in the mini tour. Exciting stuff. I was also in London this weekend. You were. I went to I went to watch Sum 41, who you might be too young to. Oh, I love Sum 41 from... Uh... When I used to purely from just when I used to when, when I used to five years old. no no when I when I used to watch American Pie and I probably should have been watching American Pie and, uh, <laughs> <laughs> that was like that was how I know some forty one so yeah I was a big fan but uh, how but was yeah. it it looked like you had a blast this year I've sort of been reliving my late teens early twenties I went to see Weezer and Green Day who are two of my favourite bands of all time 
Uh, and I haven't seen either of those for probably, uh, well, certainly over a decade. Fallout Boy were also at that same gig, who I'm not a huge fan of, but like their music. I went to see Liam Gallagher at Nebworth. I went to see Killers. So I've sort of, and then now I've done some 41 and, and I've got Blink-182 tickets for next year. So yeah. I've sort of done, I've sort of gone through my 2003 CD collection and gone, right, Who who's touring this year? So I've gone to see all of them. It's been absolutely brilliant. It's got nothing to do with the big 4 has it? No, this isn't, this isn't me turning 40 and then having a bit of a midlife crisis and thinking oh god I need to go and relive my youth I mean for starters everyone at all of these gigs was basically the same age as me so yeah. they weren't I didn't spot many people that much younger than me at some 41 so yeah, didn't, stop, was me. didn't stop me jumping around like a lunatic though um uh, were you mossing not, at the front were you no I was I was I was about no. four, I was about four from the front I was oh. I was throwing myself around like I was reliving my youth I, I yeah my back is my back's not up for it these days but it was good fun dear oh dear Anyway, let's play some music. Well, it was a good weekend if you love Rory McIlroy and hate Boris Johnson. So <laughs> good win for Rory at the CJ Cup, one that he had to work quite hard for. Yeah, he did in the end. It seemed pretty like it was inevitable he was going to win, wasn't it? After he had one, he was one ahead with one to play, one to play, one round to play. And then it got pretty exciting in the end. Like it was a really good finish. Uh, you had Kitayama, Ram, KH Lee all on his back. And to be honest, it was, I want to say, unusual in terms of how he did it. But in the end, it was the putter that saved Rory. He made some really clutch putts on the back nine, which then took him clear, gave him that breathing space. I mean, I know he won by one in the end, but really, he'd extended his lead to three. Yeah, the flat stick was on fire. I was like, who is this guy? So he did have to work for it. But it was, I mean, I think I described it as a classy victory. And I think it was just that. And now we have a new world number one, Alex. There was, yeah, there was a there was. It's good to see him back at world number one, and we'll come back to that. But it's it's it was tense, wasn't it? He was level, and then he and then in the end he could afford to go bogey bogey at the finish. And yeah. and it, I mean, I texted you last night, and because we were discussing the permutations to get him to number one, and because of where Scotty Scheffler had finished, yeah, he needed to win. So if he won, he went to world number one automatically, but he could also afford to finish solo second. He couldn't finish tied for second. So it was just one of those strange ones, wasn't it? And I texted you last night or Sunday night during the tournament and said, you can just see what's going to happen here. John Rahm's going to run away with it. And then Rory's going to bogey 18 and Kurt Kitayama or someone's going to birdie 18 to tie second for him and deny that. And I saw I really only wrote that just so if in case it happened, I could then put it on social media and say, look, I predicted this, but absolutely delighted to see Rory back now I just want to ask you that's 35 worldwide wins for Rory as a professional 23 on the PGA Tour including those four majors of course now the only golfers with more PGA Tour wins and more majors than Rory are and check out this roll call Tiger Woods Sam Snead Jack Nicklaus Ben Hogan Arnold Palmer Byron Nelson Walter Hagen Phil Mickelson Tom Watson Gene Sarazen Lee Trevino and Gary Player now, oh. you cannot deny that any of those 12 players who have more PJ Tour wins and more majors than Rory, if you 
labelled any of those as a legend of the game. No one's arguing with that. So we talked about this before, and I'm sure we'll talk about it again. Has Rory moved himself into legend status of the game if he wasn't there already? Oh, I don't. I, I don't like calling people a legend when they're still when present. they're still playing. Mm, that's my is this, issue. Is with, that's the, my only issue with the look. And I think if if he was to like and. So, so, so I guess the answer is yes, because you know, if he, if he was to end his career now, and you asked me this in ten years, I'd probably say yes. But I hate labelling someone a legend when they're still playing and they're still sorry. So you, and anything could happen. So, so you're not willing. You're not willing to label Tiger Woods as a legend, <laughs> even though he's still playing. <laughs> he's not playing. He's not. He was waving. He was waving to us at St Andrews. He was. He's gone. That. that sorry, guys, but he's gone. No, but I mean, he's in his. He's in his prime, isn't he? In terms of an age. This is the Andy Murray being knighted while he's still playing scenario, isn't it? <laughs> They're all crying, weren't they? He, he is, is, you know, it's undeniable in terms of records and, and majors and whatnot. We all know, we all know it. He needs that Masters win, doesn't he? I'm not saying that's going to be like, you know, the tipping point. I think what he's achieved is already incredible. But if he gets that, I mean, it, it takes him to another level, doesn't it? And that can be all he's focused on now, surely, is winning the Masters, like above everything. I mean, oh, he's, basically, he's achieved everything, hasn't he now? I think you could argue that's all he's been focused on for the last X amount of years. The one thing I've noticed about Rory in this, what is it, his ninth return to world number right, one, yeah. his his rise of the last few months, he's obviously had an unbelievable year. But the one thing that has got me is, and you sort of half mentioned it before, is just how good he is around the green now. His short game mm. has stepped up another level. And that is something that has cost him at Augusta in the past, some far more high profile than others. But that is what has cost him at Augusta. Now, I, I think watching him these last few months, and I, I sort of, I don't know whether I say this as someone who is desperate for him to win the Masters or as, you know, as his fan, but I sort of feel after these last few months that actually perhaps this is the best chance where he does have to win at Augusta. Yeah, and I think I'll pose the question, and I guess I'd put it at you as well, but... And it's so easy to, you know, recency biases, you know, as sports journalists, we, it, it dominates us sometimes, doesn't it? It dictates what we say. But is this the best Rory McIlroy we've now ever seen? Um, I know he hasn't won a major this year, but if you just look at his results in 2022 and, you know, you, you look at the aspects of his game that perhaps he did hinder him in the past, is this the best Rory McIlroy we're now seeing? It's a difficult question, isn't it? Because I think in terms of his overall game, and he, he had that beautiful moment after his round on Sunday at the CJ Cup where he said I'm still trying to work out this mm. game I mean this is the best player in the world I mean think about how many times Nuts. you have beaten yourself up or I have beaten myself up or anyone listening to this who plays golf on a regular basis has got so frustrated over the smallest of things and yet the best player in the world a player that we're we're talking about potential legend status is saying I'm still trying to figure this game out and it was a lovely moment yeah, yes, I think that even though McIlroy has got had that incredible run in 14 where he won all those majors and uh, and the WGCs and, and added so much to his CV in such a short space of time, I think that actually in terms of his overall game, we probably are looking at the best Rory McIlroy we've ever seen. Yeah, yeah. And I think it also helps. And yes, again, you, you mentioned recency bias. Perhaps that is coming into it slightly, but it is difficult to forget just how good he was in that period around... 14 just 14, yeah just absolutely phenomenal like you can't I mean we were talking about it at the time and you're just in complete awe of what he's doing but this this year has been incredible and it's not just about what he's doing on the course as well it's about what he's doing off the course and I'm not talking about the PJ Tour versus the Lyft stuff like he just 
since whether it's becoming a dad or, or whatever it is or getting married he just seems like a much more rounded person i mean he will tell you that he made a lot of mistakes back then who can forget the comments about the Ryder cup and think things that just he wasn't the, the person he needed to be off the course as well as on the course and i think now he's just about the most rounded person and golfer you could you could mold yeah and yeah to answer your question yes i think this is the best version of rory McIlroy we we are seeing in every context yeah i mean i saw i, I didn't realize but he was he ended last year ninth in the world didn't he and now he's number one and i think he said if someone had asked me then if i'd be number one now i'd ask them what were they smoking and again it comes back to you know the mindset of that he still perhaps thinks he's trying to figure it out which is just bonkers but i guess now he is number one and maybe we're putting too much emphasis on world number one um but he's obviously got the target on his back and the way that these guys stay there is because they still think i need to improve i'm still lacking in this area so um, the fact that he has come out and said that is probably encouraging as well, isn't it? Because, you know, he's still hungry to get better and and who knows where it will take him now. But, yeah, it's, it's, all always, about, it's all about majors now for Rory. I mean, it has been anyway, but... I always think that when they come out and say those things, I think that there's just a certain amount of humility about it. And, and Rory is is a pretty humble guy. Well, it seemed genuine. Yeah, he's no, choking I get that, up, but I think he, if you... It, like, he, he, he makes a joke about, you know, I'd ask him what they were smoking. But I think if you took Rory, if you sat down with Rory on... Christmas Day last year and said what are your goals for 2022 getting to world number one or back to world number one sorry would have absolutely been one of yeah. his goals so well it reminds me of do you remember, do you remember when uh, Justin Thomas shared he put like in his notes hadn't he like yeah. his goals and they were all like outrageous calls weren't they? which is I mean fair enough like he's one of the best players in the world um and obviously JT and Rory are on that same level aren't they so if JT's putting them stat putting them targets I think like you say, Rory's probably well in his right to and probably did as well. Do not do it. Do not have. I do it at the start of the year. Have one birdie this year. <laughs> I do it for running, but. Have at least three twos on a par three. <laughs> Mine are more like don't break a club this year. I've already <laughs> broken two. So <laughs> try try not to leave my trolley on the front of a green while putting out. <laughs> exactly. Right. I'm just going to ask you a little. Levels. I'm just going to ask you a little quiz question. Oh, no. Can you name? I've been. Can I phone a friend? <laughs> Can you name? I've just been nerding out on the OWGR website this morning. So when Rory McIlroy first went to world number one, which was February week nine of 2012, February 2012, who were the other nine players in the world's oh, top ten goodness. that week? If I, I, if you can name three, I'll give you the points. Well, I know it was pretty like. Oh, I'm trying to think who won the majors in 2012. There were some rogue Americans back then that were up there. People like Keegan Bradley, Hunter Mahan, maybe. Hunter Mahan was 10th. That's a hell of a shout. Mm, that is a shout. Ke- Keegan Bradley was 20th. Okay. So what about the English boys? That... Do- Donald and Westwood would have had their time. Donald, there, well, they? Donald and Westwood were the two players that I would have got straight away because obviously in the middle of 2011, they had that tussle for world number one, didn't they? And they both had that position. So it was actually Donald who McElroy re- replaced as world number one that week. So Donald was two, Westwood was three, Mayhan was 10. So you've got that. So I'll give you the others. So nice. McElroy, Donald, Westwood, Martin Keimer, Steve Stricker, Webb Simpson, who, of course, wow. went to win the US Open that year, Jason Day, Dustin Johnson, Charles Schwartz, yeah. Hunter Mayhan. Now, DJ would have been my other banker. Yeah, I was I was having a. I was I was trying to quickly jot down all the players. So there's there's no players. I'm just looking at it. There's no players in the 
top 20, I don't think. I think McElroy's the only player from the top 20 that week who is still in the it's top still 20. Still about, yeah. So uh, the other were well, Adam Scott, who isn't in the top 20 now. Phil Mickelson isn't. Bill Huss definitely isn't. Matt Kuchar isn't. Graham McDowell isn't. Tiger Woods isn't. Nick Watney isn't. Sergio Garcia isn't. Brant Snedeker isn't. Keegan Bradley, I don't think is. I know he won the other week, but I don't think it got him back into the 20, did it? I'm going to just look it up because I'm interested. It shows how much has changed as well. I mean, I'm, I'm obviously saying this now because all these guys you mentioned are older. But even then, was it 10 years ago, they weren't... You look at the, and I know they always make a thing of it, don't they? How how young the top 10 is now in the world. Yeah. Um, and I bet if you also, not only is that like, oh, wow, there's some throwbacks there. But also, I bet if you lined up that 10 and now lined up the current 10 and looked at the age differences, I bet you'd be looking at a big difference, wouldn't you? Yeah. So Bradley is actually 25 now. So you could take it down to 25. Okay. It, back then, in, so back to February 2012, 21 was KJ Choi, then Justin Rose, then Bubba Watson, then Mark Wilson. <laughs> What? I don't think I even remember Mark Wilson and no disrespect for him, but good grief. And then Ian Poulter was 25. So actually, you've got Keegan Bradley, who's 25 now. So in the top 25 in the world in February 2012, Roy McRoy and Keegan Bradley are the only two. The who only are still two. And that's only because Bradley had a had a because he won last week. So it's a, it's a phenomenal was, achievement. This was when uh, this was when the rankings were legit as well, Alex. Oh, don't start that. Good grief. <laughs> <laughs> well, McElroy said that at the top of the week, didn't he? Oh, so he was responding to Phil's comments, um, where obviously Phil said that the PGA is trending downwards and lives trending upwards, which is pretty nonsense. But then to back Rory's point, he said that, well, he actually said all of the talent, then stopped himself, as he usually does, and said 95% of the talent is on the PGA Tour, which, I mean, just an absurd comment to make, wasn't it? I think he was just a bit rattled by the whole Phil stuff. But to come out with that, I mean, it's just, you know, you say what you want, but it's not it's not really. You don't, you don't agree with him. I don't agree with him. If we're going to put if we're going to put an actual stat on it, it's probably more like 80, isn't it? Look, let's just have a, I'm going to have a I really, mean, it's just really... like, uh, and he can say what he wants about Liv. He continues to do so. But, you know, and he did it. He did it at Wentworth as well. He was. It's sort of his, you know, he was poking fun at the format again of Liv. And it just gets to a point where it's like at some point he needs to just accept that there is quality there. And, you know, it is it is going to, you know, it's it's the rival in terms of quality. So I, I mean, it's I just think, a stupid statement, isn't it? You, I don't think you can criticise Rory McIlroy for responding because no, no, Phil, Phil Mickelson has gone out and done his thing, done his Liv PR stuff that he's <laughs> obviously been ordered to do. And... Or, or he, if he hasn't been ordered to do it, he does it. It feels like it's more of a uh, justification move. But <laughs> McElroy is obviously going to be asked about that, so he obviously then has to respond. So to say, actually, ninety-five percent of the best talent in the world is still on the PGA Tour. Now he's probably not that far wrong. I've just had a very quick scan through the top one hundred in the world, and I've counted fifteen. There are a couple of players who I'm not actually sure if they live or not, which is yeah. Cool. I think it's a, it's probably twenty, isn't it? So so fifth, so let's say there's 15 to 20 players in the top 100 who are on live. So we're looking at 85 percent ish. So Look, I just want to he's, he's percentage. Not, That's it. So his 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 point is still that the majority, that uh, the vast majority. Yeah, well, no, it's it was not, it was exactly. Yeah, 85 percent isn't. We're not talking Brexit 52 48 here. <laughs> we're talking 85 15. So it, it, what his point is that the majority of the best talent in the world is still playing PGA and DP World Tour. And he's correct on that front. OK, his, his stats aren't quite there. Just to go back to Boris Johnson, I have, I've got a, or Alan Partridge. I've got 104 friends. But it's the, the point is that the majority is still on the PGA Tour. And that's right. And, and I think that will continue to be the case. 
Well, uh, yeah, because I mean they're they're limited, aren't they? As it can only ever have forty eight guys. So yeah, but you say it like it, you say it like that's not their thing. Like they've done that. You make it sound like the PJ Tour have only allowed forty eight players to go and do oh, it. Yeah. That's not a criticism, is it? It's not. No. But yeah, it was just a bit. It was a bit far fetched. I think it was a bit of a bold one. But so is pretty much everything that the other side have said, isn't it? So you know, it is what it is. But I just thought it was a bit like, come on, mate, really. But good end to the week for Rory. Good tournament. We got a new Noah number one. And yeah, the golf just keeps delivering at the minute. Yes or no, Masters champion Rory McIlroy 2023. No. Don't do that. I'm going to do that. You're just playing the odds. (laughs) We do our end of year predictions for the following year's majors. Every single year, I will say Rory McIlroy for the Masters. I will continue to. Actually, maybe I should say say something. Yeah, that's exactly it. Maybe I should say someone else this year. But I will back Rory McIlroy to be a Masters champion until the day he hangs up his uh, spikeless. Well, then that's when he's going to be a legend as well. Yes. <laughs> oh, finally. That's what he's going to When he retires, he's going to say, I was listening to this podcast <laughs> in, tw- in the end, towards the end of 2022. And this guy called George said that I'm not a legend. So I had to prove him wrong. But now I can be a legend officially. So. Talking of players who are definitely going to end their career with legend status, and this is absolutely mental that we're talking about this because she is 25. And I had to double check that she's yeah, so 25 yeah. years old because I did not believe it. Lydia Ko, another LPGA victory at the BMW Ladies Championship. She's got two majors. That was her 18th, 18th LPGA win, her 24th professional win. We talk about Rory and how we've run out of things to say about him, but Lydia Ko, good grief. I mean, it was summed it all up in terms of what was how old was she when she had her first win? 14, 15? So um, 2012, so what's that, 10 years ago? So yeah, she was 15. 14, 15. And it just shows, like, because I think I posted the photo of when she was so young that they couldn't even like you know it's so common in the women's game isn't it they like throw champagne over each other or whatever yeah. she was so young it was just someone was just tipping sparkling a water, water. <laughs> sparkling water over her head and then cut to like 2022 and then they finally got the champagne out but she seems like she's been around forever and she's 25 it's incredible well that's the that's what i love about the lpga as well and the let to a certain extent is that players can feel like they've been around forever i mean how many players in the on the lpga can you are you thinking good grief they've been around for so long and yet they're only in their mid-20s yeah it's, just, it's a phenomenal achievement well they burst I mean, onto the scene so much younger though as well don't they which is obviously a big part of it i mean the fact she was 15 and like in the photo she looked like a kid she was a kid and then 18 wins later here she is again she's talking of majors she's obviously gonna add more to her name what a player i'm just looking through i don't think she's so 2017 and 2019 have been the only years since her first win that she hasn't won a tournament wow i mean that's just a phenomenal achievement isn't it and then we had a really nice story on the dp world tour as well yannick paul yannick paul another another maiden winner i mean it seems like the man with the backwards name can we call him paul yannick i I almost called him paul yannick that's how bad that was he was playing mini tours what this time last year winning tiny tiny amounts of money crazy i didn't realize he's got twin brother as well all these brothers keep popping up all over the dp world tour at the minute there was that tournament wasn't there was it the italian there were three sets of brothers playing and now we've got another they were both playing uh yesterday as well does yannick paul's brother play european tour yeah, because I'm not sure if he's a, he's got a, he's got a card, but him and his brother were the first ever twins to play in a DP World Tour event, and that was in Germany, I think, in 2019, I want to say. 
Okay. Obviously, the, the Hoy Guards have now come along. Like, what are the what are the chances of that? Like, so yeah, great story. And now another maiden winner of the DP World Tour, and another European player who's thrown his name into the Ryder Cup hat somehow. Like, suddenly he's like, I mean, I know it's early, so like, if you get a win, you're like automatically in the top ten or whatever. But like, adding his name, and I'm like, wow, suddenly it's just more and more players popping up. So yeah, really good win and a great finish again. Um, I felt a bit for Marcus Armitage. Cause it looked like he was going to get that, uh, what was it, within his first win in over a year. He played some great stuff. And everyone seemed to jinx him. I think he went two ahead, Armitage, with like three holes to go. And everyone was going crazy on social media, like, come on the bullet. And yeah. every single person jinxed him, bless him. But well, no, he's, he's, incredibly, a, he's incredibly popular, isn't he? And, and we, all he know is. The, what, um, we all know what Armitage has been through in the last few years. And yeah. obviously we had Duncan McCarthy on, who is his on our podcast who is his mental coach and yeah um, it was it was a shame to see it see it slip away Yannick Paul was on the outlaw tour two years ago winning checks for like five hundred dollars or three hundred dollars and now outlaw tour I mean wow world tour winner so absolutely incredible anyway talking of mini tours yes as promised at the top of the show we've got some huge news obviously a few weeks ago we had this news that the Euro Pro Tour was no longer going to continue going to 2023 obviously very sad news we spoke to a couple of players since then everyone's been looking at the clutch tour and wondering what they're going to do so the clutch pro tour announced on friday some really big news about how they're going to move forward in 2023 so we asked co-founder of the clutch pro tour tom hayward to come on and just talk about it because he's got some really really exciting stuff coming up Thanks for joining us. Really appreciate it. Just tell us a little bit about how the Clutch Tour got started and, and your involvement in it. Yeah, so me and Lily, Lily's my fiance, we co-founded Clutch in 2019. So that was after my my playing career um, ended. So I I finished playing in 2018 um, and I played all the mini tour mini tour stuff. So I played a bit on Apps Tour and Euro Pro, Jamiga and all those types of tours that offered a great platform. Um, and then when my when my career or when I decided I had two kids at that point when I decided that was an, enough was enough for me um <clears throat> in 2019 we decided to get some events up and running originally the plan was to try and make a bit of money for me to get back and play my own stuff but um I soon fell in love with the project and to be honest when we started completely underestimated the amount of work that was involved in putting putting the events on um, so in 2019, we only did three one-day events, but it already at that point became kind of like a full-time project. Um, and then COVID hit. Um, but weirdly enough, COVID, from a business point of view, obviously, um, was kind of the best thing that ever happened to us because all of the larger, uh, more established tours were struggling to operate, whereas we operated behind closed doors. We had multiple events in 2020 um, when most of the tours went operating, like Europe, et cetera, weren't able to get a schedule together because obviously their events involve staying over and accommodation, et cetera. Whereas at that point we were still only running one day events, but we had the likes of Andy Sullivan come and play with us and win multiple times and your Richard Lands and your Ollie Wilsons, et cetera. So from a PR point of view, and then we had some great female talent playing as well, Charlie Hull and Meg McLaren, et cetera. Laura Davies played with us a few times. So from a PR point of view, it was great that period for us because it got our name out there. Um, and then 2021 really was our first proper, proper year, I'd say, where we started moving into a multi-day event market, so offering events not just over one day, but 36 and 54 holes. And then obviously this year has been a big year for us in 2022, um, and we've done the same. So we've continued to push all of our, you know, all of our personal boundaries. So, you know, moving away from one-day golf because we're trying to do everything we can to develop the players as best we can for the higher tiers. So 
the longer format events that we can provide, the better it is for their their development and their careers. So this year we only had a handful of one day events at some prestigious venues like Holland World that weren't able to go to multi day events for us. Um, but yeah, then then now looking af- looking ahead to 2023, um, the full the whole schedule is multi day events both both on this new tier that we've got, new tiered system. So tier one and tier two, every event is multi day. The majority of them in tier one are now 54 whole events. So we kind of continually pushing and striving to improve the product for the players so just tell us a little bit about how next year will be different how much money is involved and and how you got to that stage yeah so again like i said this has always been player focused yes we make a living out of it yes it's a commercial it's a commercial um decision to run a tour like this we're trying to make some money out of it we have staff that we need to pay i want to make money out of it myself but ultimately it's a very player player focused um product so we're trying to do everything we can for the players. So one thing I didn't like and never liked as a player, I understand why it's there and I understand why it's a necessity, but I never liked the idea of players going to a Q school and then their whole season being dictated or kind of being defined by that one week of the year. So they could go to Q school, whether it be for EuroPro or DP World Tour, and they could have one bad week. Um, but traditionally, the satellite tours, so your Alps Tour, EuroPro, the Q score was held at a time when the golf courses were in poor condition and that's nothing down to those tours it's just the way it works so if a young player's career is being defined by that one week I felt like it was very harsh so we wanted to rather than just say sorry guys come back next year when you're a little bit better we wanted to try and provide a system and create our own little ecosystem so at tier three these players aren't just discarded and told to come back next year they have somewhere to play they have somewhere to develop we feel strongly that our product for the last couple of years has been the best product on the market anyway in terms of mini tour development golf so why let them go and play elsewhere why send them off to other tours that might not be as good so we wanted to keep them within the clutch ecosystem and then create our own promotion and relegation within the two tiers um the big changes really for next year is obviously the two tier system but tier one the money's going money's going huge so 60 grand guaranteed a week with three events at 100k purses um so even compared to your regular satellite tours it's far and above those um so it's setting a new standard in terms of what we're providing financially for the players and then tier two is 18 events again so it's 18 events on tier one 18 events on tier two tier two it's all at 30 grand so when you compare that to some of the regular satellite tours that are operating now like pro golf tour which are technically the the official pathway to challenge tour even tier two is matching them on prize funds um and if you look at what we how we've operated this year we've had a major series within our 2022 schedule and those major series events have only been 30 grand so every event on tier two is going to 30 grand and the players will be paying less for that as well so it's um in terms of money and sustainability basically what every mini tour and development tour wants to do is offer a genuine schedule of events where guys can actually make a living in not saying that i'm not saying that 50 60 guys are suddenly going to make a full-time living through clutch next year um but as a tour all we can do is try and push those boundaries push those limits and try and put a little bit more money on the table for the players and that and there will be a natural step to the challenge tour from clutch yeah so we run we own well yeah we we own contracts and run two of our own very own uh, very own um challenge tour events so one thing that has always been different about clutch is that it hasn't been hasn't just been cards at the end of the year it's also been immediate access so next year on clutch on both tiers you'll be able to win invites onto the challenge tour at the moment as per our promo video that's been set at 40 but that could double um so at the moment we've been conservative with that we've put 40 invites to the market um and we'll see how we want to use the rest that we have on our events that we promote in england um 
so you'll have that and also there'll be there'll be opportunities at the end of the season for the order of merit for cards for the players as well and obviously you mentioned the players there and how the players are the focus what's what sort of the general feedback been like uh since friday of the players and and sort of a secondary to that i know when the sad news of obviously the euro pro going under there was a especially in my club at woven there's a lot of uh a lot of euro pro guys and the feeling was okay you know we're going to go to clutch now and there was sort of an excitement and a buzz about about what you guys were doing so uh, just tell me a little bit about about what the players think yeah i think obviously clutch has been you know we haven't been as good as euro pro in terms of the overall offering in terms of you know they ran 54 whole events and they were the official pathway to challenge tour in the uk so there's no denying they were a, they were a bigger company than we were and and a better option for the players possibly but i think now we have a chance to try and recreate that model um you know dan godding's been very vocal about how difficult it was for them as a tour we've worked exceptionally hard on the funding so i think players are generally excited because i think lots of players who played euro pro this year they wanted to play clutch anyway but sponsors, TV, et cetera, they felt like their hand was forced and they had to play EuroPro. Um, so I know why there's a lot of excitement there because I, you know, I've seen the messages and the feedback that we've had over the last couple of years. And if it wasn't for, I guess, politics and a bit of, um, I don't really know what the word is, but it's, you know, it's kind of like been the natural decision year on year for the last 20 years that you have to go and play EuroPro. And slowly we're breaking that mold. So I think a lot of guys felt like their hand was forced and they had to go down the EuroPro route. If you look at some of the players, look at some of the success stories we've had, like Ollie Farrell, OJ Farrell. You know, he won five invites with us last year and now has a full card on Challenge Tour. And he managed to he managed to completely um, like heighten the rate at which he developed by playing on clutch. So he had immediate access as opposed as opposed to waiting it out all year at the end of the year and then having to wait four or five months for the Challenge Tour to actually start. Um, and then obviously the reaction to our actual promo stuff, everyone's very excited. They knew. They knew that we were working hard to improve the pro, you know, improve the project and improve the model for them, but they weren't expecting the levels that we've managed to go to with price funds, etc. Um, and there's also there's a lot more to come in terms of what we're going to be doing. We're going to try and um, we're going to try and have some DP World Tour invites on there as well, like we had this year. We had six or seven of those this year. We're very confident that we'll have those back on the schedule as well, providing guys options. So the key for me is not just allowing players to play all year for an end of season card. We want there to be two routes for development. So if players come and play well with us and they pick up a few invites, then it's up to them. The decision is with the player as to whether they go straight on to Challenge Tour or they wait it out until the end of the year and they get their card. Um, and that's really one of the big differences, as well as the money that we want to make. The vital difference between EuroPro and Clutch, <clears throat> and you said it at the top of the interview, is that Clutch is run by an ex-player. Yeah. And for me, for me, I think that's probably the most... Well, it's your USP, really, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, I mean, everyone, you know, all of the main directors of the company... There's four of us who have all been ex-professionals. Um, and so we understand the game very well. We understand what the players want. And I think there's a really good, really strong relationship with the players. So whether it's good, bad, ugly, the players feel like they have someone to come and talk to. Um, and also that we can use our, you know, use our professional knowledge to put on the best event, best service and best experience as possible. Because that was that was a big thing. When I was a player, um, I continually felt like I was shortchanged. You invest a huge amount of money um emotionally financially etc not just you but also your families wives girlfriends etc and um i always felt like the investment you're making as a player you were continuously shortchanged so everything from the schedule to the money to the incentives to the the experience and service that they're going to get from us being ex-professionals um will be will be you know will be a big contrast to what's been there in the past top of the game now obviously we know this such an influx of money isn't there and there's you know there's the live stuff and there's the strategic alliance that's been signed with the dp and the pga 
And I think it's become quite a polarising debate, hasn't it, about how that's filtering down to the lower level of the game and to the mini tours. Now, you know, some people saying it's good for all aspects of the game. Some people saying it's been quite damaging at the lower end. Where do you stand on that? And are you sort of worried um, about what's happening at the top and, and, and how do you see the situation playing out for yourselves at Clutch? Um, it's a tricky one because I don't think anyone in my position, like I, I think I have a very good grasp of it and I think I have a really, uh, yeah, I think I have a lot of information because I have regular meetings with high-ranking members of staff at the DP World Tour, but no one knows everything. Um, so I won't get into the politics of it all. But in terms of live coming to the market, it is brilliant for like developing players because if you look at where we are now, so look at some of the success stories you've had. You've had like your Richard Mansells, you and Ferguson's this year, like standout players on the DP World Tour who 12 months ago no one really knew about. Those guys worked hard to come through the ranks. But typically, five, six years ago, pre-COVID, those players would have been going on to a European tour or a DP World Tour where it was rammed full of your, you know, rammed full of stars, your Garcias, your Westwoods, etc. So them all leaving has created space for new talent to emerge. Obviously, there's question marks as to, you know, does it damage the DP World Tour product? And that's up to the DP World Tour to sort out. And they're going to have to create a new, they're going to have to create a new range of stars. And I'm sure that they'll do that because they're, you know, the DP World Tour product in terms of schedule and in terms of a platform for players is still massive. You know, you've got your likes of Richard Mansell now and all those guys, your Dale Whitnalls, all those guys who were playing mini tour golf a few years ago. They're now becoming your household names within the DP World Tour. So it's opened up a, a wealth of opportunities for players like that. Is it good for the game at the top level? I don't really know. I probably don't really know enough about it to comment, but... If you look at it now, like a player on clutch can get on Challenge Tour very easily. You know, not necessarily with a full card, but they can get opportunities on Challenge Tour very quickly. Challenge Tour is obviously a great breeding ground for talent. They can then get on the DP World Tour. And again, whether they want to play DP World Tour, but then DP World Tour has the access to the PGA Tour. And ultimately, before Liv came along, everyone wanted to play PGA Tour. That was the that was the gold standard of world golf where everyone wanted to be. So... I don't know. It's a tricky one. Is the Saudi money right? All that stuff. There's no point commenting because I don't know enough about it. But in terms of like if I'm a clutch pro tour player or if I'm a player on Tartan tour or any of the other development tours or, you know, I'd be I'd be chomping at the bit. If I wasn't overweight now, I'd be getting my clubs back out and giving mm-hmm. it a go because like the, you know, the opportunities are massive now. And then the progression and don't get me wrong, like the, the the talent level we've just run two challenge tour events the talent level on the on the challenge tour is immense so it's not like it's easy to break through but the dp world tour have put money down onto tier two but no one i don't care what anyone says and we're obviously on dp world tour side you know we want to forge a long long-standing relationship with them especially now that europro have left the market but there's no there's no one not, not any of the major tours are doing anything for development golf for tier three in my opinion now, it's not meant to be criticising anyone because I understand all the struggles that are going on at the top level, but there's no funds, there's no there's no sponsorship or no funds being filtered down to tier three. So all of the tours at a tier three level across Europe, they're they're operating independently effectively. They're not, you know, the other the other satellite tours that do a great job in Europe. The funding that they source is funded in, you know, it's sourced and funded independently. It's not coming down from DP World Tour. Likewise, you know, the PGA Tour has Latin America Tour and those PGA, PGA um, sanctioned tours like that and Web.com or Corn Ferry, whatever it's called now. But it's um, there's no money. You know, that's one of the reasons of Europro. Money wasn't filtering down to Europro to help them to help them survive. 
so all the you know everyone said it like growing the game thing is an interesting comment because I'm not sure anyone but the tier three tours are doing that challenge tours doing a great job like we we see how hard they work behind the scenes etc but I don't think it's I don't think it's possible for the main tours because there's so much going on at the top level and there's so many legal battles etc I don't know whether it's physically possible for that money to get transitioned down down the ranks I don't know I don't think many people will argue with the fact that the lower level of the game is growing the game far more than the top end so Tom look I, I appreciate that I mean this is the first working day since your announcement so you're obviously very busy so very grateful for you to come on and, and tell us about that it was really interesting you made some really interesting points which uh george and i are now going to talk about behind your back yeah so, that's right <laughs> really appreciate you coming yeah, I appreciate, on yeah, i appreciate the time guys <laughs> very much for the coverage yeah thanks good, a lot, luck, good luck with it all and and hopefully we're fingers crossed we're talking to you this time next year about a, a thoroughly successful first season yeah brilliant thanks guys take care Cheers, Tom. take care mate bye-bye, bye-bye. I tell you what was really interesting was that last bit that, that he was saying because I'd never thought about that before about how actually the Garcias and the Porters of the world leaving to go and join live has actually opened oh, 100%. doors. Like, we've never we've not really talked it's about so, that. And, and I, it's I, such I, an obvious point. As a, it's as such an obvious point. Industry. That's like the money stuff, isn't it? That was really good. Right. So before we get to our and finalies for the week, just want to encourage people to like and subscribe wherever they get their podcasts because then it appears every week and tells you that there's a new podcast from National Club Golfer. And it's not just our podcast either. George and I come on on a Monday and we talk about tour golf and brilliant music from 20 years ago. And we also have Steve Carroll, who heads up a club-based podcast called From the Clubhouse. And we have Hannah Holden, who is about to revamp her nerdy, super nerdy, uber nerdy, if you will, gear and instruction podcast which is called All the Gear. So look out for those as well. If you like those things, you should definitely give those a listen because they're very good. Now, there was one moment on the tour over the weekend that went big, and that was Jordan Spieth's putt. And I was just, (laughs) it was one of those things where I saw, because I only saw it on social media, because like I said, I was away for the weekend. And it was just one of those things where you just see, see it happen and you think, well, that A, that happens to all of us. But generally, when you're just playing with your mates, you do that. So just if you haven't seen it, Jordan Spieth walked up to a 18 inch putt and tried to just use the back of his putter to knock it in. And he missed it. And he missed it so badly, he actually had to mark the next he had to mark it. Normally with us, if we're playing with our mates, you sort of go, you'd given that to me anyway, hadn't you? <laughs> that was uh, good. Obviously, yeah, when yeah. you're playing in a, yeah, that was fine anyway, wasn't it? You sure? Uh, and then obviously with Jordan Speed, you can't do that because you're playing on the PGA Tour. But oh, Jordan, what what are you doing, mate? Just I think Tre- Trevor Immelman was like all of us on the commentary. He just went, oh no, Jordan, oh, no, <laughs> oh no, what is he doing? The other thing I thoroughly enjoyed was the photograph of Shane Lowry outside the PGA Tour Superstore so whatever he calls it, with his new putter because there was quite a funny story behind it as well, wasn't it? It wasn't like he snapped it in anger. No, he sort of like pulled it out of his bag, didn't he? And it got caught. And the, apparently he was with Fitzpatrick and Fitzpatrick just dropped to the ground laughing. Well, he <laughs> said what, I think he said what had happened. Is he, <clears throat> as he pulled it out of his bag, he dropped it. And I think he went to catch it on his foot. Yeah. But as he as he went to catch it on his foot, he just happened to catch like the connection between the head and the shaft or something. It was just whatever, wherever it was, it was just the exact perfect position, like everything aligned to make it that perfect position that he just snapped. And then obviously Fitzpatrick was just, like you say, was falling about laughing. And he had to drive an hour to a PGA Tour Superstore yeah. to pick himself up a new putter. 
But we've all been there as well. We've all we've all broken clubs, but generally it's it's out of anger rather than. I just wish I'd I just wish I'd seen like the customers in that shop when he walks in, <clears throat> and the fact that he was in his uh he was like he just gone straight from the course. He was in all his tour gear. He just walks in. Um, because some, expect- some some person would have gone. That guy plays on tour. And then they yeah. probably would have got it wrong. They probably would have said like, oh, it's someone. Else. Oh, hang on. I can hear an Irish accent. Oh, maybe. And then I don't know. It's yeah, yeah. you can just imagine it would have been quite fun in there. What would you just I do have a question for you about this. What club if you say, for example, your your putter has snapped, you're on the ninth hole, you've got another you've got the back nine to play. Which other club in your bag are you using as your putter for the remainder of your round? Uh, Freewood. Good choice. Yeah. I think yeah, I'd I don't, use a I don't back myself enough of like you know when you see guys do it with like a wedge. Oh, I couldn't. Use and they're like blading they the bottom. They just use the sole of it, don't they? To oh. like it. Like I couldn't do that. I think I would use a hybrid simply because yeah, you can stand more upright than you can with a three wood. That's my thinking. Yeah, and and I, I've got to think about the greenskeepers as well. I think if I do anything but more a bit daring, I, I get kicked out for taking chunks out of the greens. So yeah, we'll go with the wood. All right. Well. If you are still listening and you want to tell us which club you would use instead of your putter, just write to us at the usual address. Send a postcard to NCG HQ Leeds. And finally, I just I just want to touch on this because, again, I, I want to encourage people to over to nationalclubgolfer.com and watch the video if they haven't seen it. But Whistling Straits, there was a college event and there was just a, some astonishing footage oh, coming out. Oh. Now, as golfers in the UK, we've all played in these conditions where you've got a three foot putt and you tap it up to the hole and the ball just keeps going and going and going and going because of the wind and the slopes, especially if you're playing on Lynx golf. Just, But this was a college tournament and they had to abandon it. They had to abandon the tournament. I mean, if you go on, if you go on the piece... I think I've mentioned what the scoring was actually like. I mean, these are college players. So they're all obviously good. They're all vying to be professionals. And then like the average score after two days was like 20 over par because no one could hold the greens. One score, one hole produced scores. I think it was 16 and a 13. So, yeah. And they, prob- that. And they probably found the green in two as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's just, if that video is anything to go by. But no, it's a, it's a really good video. Head over to nationalclubgolfer.com to see that. And then click on 19th hole and you can find all your talking points for when you're down the club this week. And you can say to your mates, hey, did you see that? I saw it on nationalclubgolfer.com. Make sure you give us a credit. That's all we ask for, isn't it, George? If you're talking about these things with your mates in the golf club, say that you saw it on nationalclubgolfer.com. Yeah, but don't don't call me a fan like one publication did when I made it. (laughs) (laughs) We can call them out. They're not listening. It's Golf Digest called George a fan when he took that wonderful viral video oh. well, the video that went viral of uh ian porter and, and Dagger. Uh, billy horshaw at wentworth <laughs> right george i've had enough of talking to fans so i'm gonna go all right <laughs> bye-bye Cheers.